It's right here on NITV Radio today. Now to our first story of today. In fact, the whole program we're going to be yarning about the wonderful lady who is Brooke Blurton. And Brooke Blurton captured the attention of Australian audiences and melted their hearts with her sweet, down-to-earth persona. And she was the very first Indigenous lead on the Bachelorette program on TV screens. But life hasn't always been easy for the reality TV star. The host of the Living Black program, Carla Grant, spoke to Brooke about her tough upbringing, how she battles her trauma and why being a mental health campaigner helps her motivate and inspire others. Well, Brooke, welcome to Living Black. Thank you for having me. Well, most Australians would know you as the star of the 2021 season of The Bachelorette, and that was an incredible moment. What is it that you're most proud of? I think I'm proud of where I've come from. I always pinch myself in like little moments, even, you know, sitting in this chair to um, having the freedom that I do um, with life and, and general things. But I think, yeah, every day I'm kind of proud of just my achievements. I think I never thought that I'd be in this position in terms of um, showcasing something as as big as doing The Bachelorette 2021. I've watched your TED Talk and you've said that your cultural identity was so much more important than your TV identity. What did you mean by that? I think when I came off The Bachelor um, the first season in 2018, I kind of got... Um, thrown into this this really public profile. The thing was I I love who I am and where I've come from and, and how I grew up, but I think, you know, when you're introduced to a media world, you're kind of like put into this box and people want to put labels and titles on you. So for, many, for me when I was doing my TED Talk, I just wanted to reclaim that back and say, look, I know that I'm on TV and I know that I have this public profile, but... At the end of the day, I'm still Brooke and I, I still, you know, love my identity. I love my culture. I envisioned a life beyond my circumstances because I realised that identity is much more important. Be strong with who you are and what you were putting out. And don't let someone's opinions, anyone's opinions, become your reality, even with reality shows. Now, obviously, we'll talk about the success of The Bachelorette a bit later, but before that, can you tell us about growing up in Carnarvon as a Noongar girl? My bloodline, my grandmother's line, it comes from a strong matriarch of women from Noongar country, so Perth Southwest. I was actually born on Yamaji country in Carnarvon, so um, I guess my country always kind of brings me back to Carnarvon. I was an outdoorsy kid. I loved sort of being outdoors. We sort of had to amuse ourselves. My childhood was, I guess, I didn't get maybe the full capacity of a childhood. I think, you know, I had to grow up quite quickly. Um, I think my role in my family was a bit more of the, the maternal role, like taking care of my brothers and looking out for the little ones. But it's also been filled with a lot of tragedy as well. When I was 11 years old, um, I lost two of the most influential women in my life um, within, I think, a month apart from one another. And 
these were two women that I spent every day of my life with and who have guided me and, and taught me so much. And, yeah, so unexpected, I think. That was a, a huge, huge pivotal time in my life. Um, as a, you know, 11-year-old girl, you're trying to still figure it, figure yourself out, right? So, yeah. Um, but I, I don't think I let those moments define me. I think I sort of set my own path from then on. Now, you said that you weren't Aboriginal enough for Aboriginal kids and not white enough for, for others. Mm. Where did you fit in? Kids are pretty harsh and... You know, you kind of got bullied as a kid to, you know, you didn't fit in. Um, and then, you know, the Aboriginal kids, I, I was a very polite kid. I felt like, you know, I was, I had a white dad. So, you know, I was always referred to as a half caste. I remember feeling quite alone all the time. Even my brothers used to give it to me as well when I was younger. I was like, so, like, what does that even mean? Like, what does even a half caste mean? Like, I was just, a, you know, just a kid, little girl, just kind of trying to navigate life and kind of already having these titles and names put onto you, which you don't really understand, um, which definitely played into my, I guess, my adult years, my teenage years. I kind of felt like why why do people feel the need to put these onto you? And you, I've always just challenged them, you know, challenge people's perceptions, challenge people in the way that they think and, and where that term comes from because I didn't actually know until I left Carnarvon that I realised what the... Now, your childhood was quite tough. At one stage you were removed from school direct to a foster home without your mum's knowledge because of her volatility and addiction problems. Mm-hmm. How did you cope with that? It can really mess with your head. <laughs> I think you kind of feel feelings of abandonment and um, fear. You don't really trust a lot of people who you're staying with. My last foster parents, like, they put us in a house right across from the street where we were living. Um, it's It was kind of like torture. It's like you're going to re- remove us from a house, but you're going to put us into a house in the family right across from the house that we lived in. And I could literally go to the end of the property and I could see my nana at the end of the driveway, literally watering her garden. Um, so, you know, my brothers and I speak about that quite often and we, and how much it toyed with us. And in those early years, um, you know, it was quite tough for you. At the age of 11, you were living in Carnarvon and you'd suffered a series of tragedies um, that could have destroyed anyone who wasn't as strong as you. Tell us about what happened at that time. I remember that year quite clearly. It was 2007. It was sort of April. My nana actually had a stroke in her garden and um, I was the one that actually called the ambulance. So that was April. My nana got transferred from Carnarvon Hospital to Perth to... um, She was really ill. So we as a family actually travelled down to Perth to see my nana and basically say our goodbyes. And it was really hard for me because... (laughs) Everyone will know in my family that me and my nan were like inseparable. I used to, you know, dish out her diabetes, diabetes medication and, you know, used to basically do palliative care for her. Um, And then my mum decided to actually drive down to Perth by herself after we sort of returned back to Carnarvon, which I found 
very unusual as a kid. I was pretty bossy as an 11 year old. I remember getting into an argument with her and, and telling her to take her, take me with her because I obviously really close to my Nana and I was like, well, if you're going back down, you know, I want to come with you, but she wouldn't let me. Um, and then I think in a, the couple of days after, um, well, I think the night after we got the news that my mum had passed away. So very unexpected. Um, I knew my mum had been struggling in that time. Now, if that wasn't traumatic enough, after a tiring and exhausting day attending my mum's funeral, I fell asleep at the wake, and whilst asleep, I was sexually abused. I guess all the crap that came afterwards was um, a lot, I think. A kid just trying to grieve her mum's death. Um, potentially losing her nana, having no parents in the house and, um, yeah, sort of being taken advantage of at my mum's funeral was also an, another, I don't know what you'd call it, like I think just another thing to add to the list. You're listening to NITV Radio and that was the very first part of the interview done by Living Black at NITV's Carla Grant and speaking to reality TV star Brooke Blurton there. And we'll be back with the second part of the interview after the break. You're listening to NITV Radio and I'm Kerry Lee Harding. Thanks for your company on this Wednesday afternoon, the 22nd day of June 2022. And as you've been listening today, we are bringing you an interview by NITV program Living Black and its host, Carla Grant, who spoke to Australian sweetheart and reality TV star and also a mental health advocate, Brooke Brooke Blurton. Life wasn't always easy for Brooke. In fact, in the interview, she shares her story of her childhood, losing both her mum and her nana at the age of 11. You'd lost your mother, you'd lost your grandmother. You said that you felt like you'd lost everything in that moment when all this had happened. I think when you've experienced such thing lost in such a short period of time and then not having your family like not having your brothers I didn't have my brothers around me and then I, I moved to a different city a different town I was living with my my dad who you know I never felt like I was, I was ever really wanted um yeah it was a lot I felt like as an 11 year old you're kind of just like processing you're going with emotions and I I actually shut down I think I think I was um I'd describe it as going mute <laughs> but you can't prepare anyone for that I think my mum and my nan were just like so, we were so close um you know I, they're the only two women that I ever had consistently in my life um other than my siblings so, yeah, I was an utter shock and I think my reaction to that was just to, to completely sort of shut down and um, lucky for me in some, you know, in a nicer sense, I, I was kind of felt like I was starting a fresh life but I just didn't feel like it was 
my life. Like, I think that, um, it's like living in two worlds, pretty much. And I was living in one more than the other. I didn't really feel like I was really understood, um, in that period of time. And that's all I really wanted was to feel understood and, and to sort of feel valued and, um, and validated. I think now working in mental health, I could definitely say as an 11 year old kid, I was severely depressed and I was severely like hurt and I didn't process grief. I didn't feel like I had support networks around me so that I could feel safe to be, you know, to feel the grief. Um, so I really struggled. I had, you know, those thoughts of suicide quite regularly, but I had to just find the strength in myself to just d take step by step and day by day. Well, it's remarkable that you got through that and you found your way out of that dark place. I honestly don't even know how I, I did it. I don't, I still, I still question myself and I just think, I don't know how I was mature enough to, to deal with that and handle that. What was the key to that? At that time you found AFL and sport? I just invested my time into footy and it kept me sane, I must admit. Like, you know, I enjoyed the trek to training that I would get. You know, I was on the train, I'd go to the footy oval, I'd get the bus, um, and, you know, I used to just use that two hours at training to just relieve, like, relieve everything that I had sort of felt in that day or that week. Um, yeah, <laughs> I was, I think it was kind of like free anger management, if I was being honest. Um, you know, because I, I kind of liked the the rough and tumble of footy and, and using that, um it's kind of like a bit of a special power. Footy definitely was my, my saving grace, I must admit. I just want to go back to when you were 15, around that time you finally felt that you were making progress, you were living with your dad but you were kicked out of home. Mm. What happened there? My dad and my stepmom um, had a quite a toxic relationship so they were never really living together. So I actually lived with my stepmom more so than my dad. You know, she supported me through that tough period of time as well but there was just so much going on. Um, and then I think, you know, my dad was just not really that supportive of anything that I did. Yeah, his addiction got really bad at some points as well. And I just think, like, I, as a 15-year-old kid, I kind of knew what was right and what was wrong. And I'm not going to live under these circumstances. Like, I know that I can – I'm pretty independent and I can, yeah, do it on my own in some sense, and I did. Um, so I was staying on my friend's couch for literally four weeks until um, a teacher at my school who ran the Follow the Dream program and she found out that I was basically homeless and that my stepmom and dad wouldn't allow me back into the house and then yeah I was under her guardianship um, and living independently and she changed my life. So she was basically your saviour? Pretty much I think I would have went down a really bad spiral um, at that age I think I, and it, 
chance of self-sabotaging, I probably would have, but she, yeah, she kind of stepped in and was like, I'm not going to let you, like, I know you're a bright kid. And she even said to me, like, I'm, I know you're better than this at one point. And I listened to her, but yeah, Joe and I, she had never had children of her own. So I was like her sort of daughter and she taught me some bloody good skills. I can tell you that. And she is just so passionate about helping those in need and especially Aboriginal kids, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander kids. Like she devotes her whole life to it and she devoted her life to me in that time. And I just am so grateful. So how did you get from that situation to where you yourself are helping homeless kids? With my life, it's always going to be like sort of up and down. I think when I left school, I did go through a bit of a hard stage um, struggling with my own mental health. I think, you know, just from all those experiences combined. I think there's a true power in being vulnerable, but also like I think sharing your lived experience. But I had a beautiful mentor. Again, she did a TED Talk called Two Worlds. Um, she's a Noongar woman and she, she mentored me through basically through my whole life in some way. Um, I used to play footy with her. And you use culture as a healing. But I was also getting that healing by going to university, learning how to construct arguments, learning about all world cultures, not just my own, but all world cultures, how people work, how people think. And it developed me into the strong woman that you see here today. She put a job across to me working for Headspace um, and it, at the start it was administrative but it turned into community engagement and I just found an absolute passion for it and I really leaned into it um, in that mental health space working with young people and also just um, sort of promoting like uh, you know more better quality of life. So what made you apply to be part of the Bachelor series first in 2018 and put your private life on, on full public view? I was 23 and I was with my housemate and it was just like a, a conversation that we had. So she's a Zambian girl and she said that she was applying and she said to me in, in comment, and I'll use her words, was that um, they never really have enough black girls on there. And I agreed with her and I was like, yeah. She's like, sis, you should do it. And, you know, we had this relationship where, like, you know, with these staunch <laughs> um, black women that are, you know, so proud of, like, where we come from in our different experiences, her being Zambian and me being um, First Nations. So we were like, yeah, let's let's apply. And, and how was that whole experience on, on uh, you know, that Bachelor series in 2018? It definitely had its challenges for sure and I think there was an uneasiness going into that experience but I think that experience taught me so much about, one, the media world but also, I guess, there's a real power in the representation that it shows. I don't think there are a lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that do reality TV for the, the fact that they're scared of how they're going to be portrayed. Um, that's anyone's concern. But I think for me, I was like, well, I'm going to represent it with strength and resilience and authenticity, everything that my mum and Nen have taught me. Um, and I'm extremely proud of myself for that first year and I'm extremely proud of, you know, what's come from it since. 
And you just heard there from Brooke Blurton speaking to Living Black's Carla Grant from NITV. And you can head to SBS On Demand to watch the full episode of that uh, very deadly program. It's a really good one to watch. And after the commercial break and a song as well for you, you'll be able to hear the third part of the interview that we're bringing you today right here on NITV Radio. Thanks for your company. Hi, I'm Kerry Lee Harding and you're tuned in to NITV Radio on this Wednesday afternoon. Thanks for your company. Good to be with you. And now back to the interview from last week's Living Black program. This time, the host of the program, Carla Grant, continued to speak to reality TV star and mental health advocate Brooke Blurton. Mm. And so you also appeared in Bachelor in Paradise and finally in 2021 you became the object of everybody's affection as the Bachelorette. Do you feel now that you have found that unconditional love that you've been looking for and, and wanting and needing in your life? I think it was... An unconditional love with myself, if I'm being honest. <laughs> like, I think I found it within myself that I I loved my identity and I love who I am and where I've come from and I found that within myself. I just love sharing that with other people and helping them find the, their own self-confidence. It's the same, Brooke. Just new style, better taste in men and women. Wow, she's an absolute bombshell. She looks stunning. God, you look amazing. It's the season that redefines the Bachelorette. I really wanted to kiss her in that moment. Last season, you smashed so many stereotypes. You were the first bisexual Bachelorette worldwide and the first Indigenous bisexual Bachelorette. Um, Why was that so important to you? I have been pretty strong with my cultural identity And I think my queer identity has definitely been one that I've challenged. But it's just so important to see that representation. Like, I feel extremely proud to represent both those minority groups. Yeah, well, you incorporated quite a few elements. You insisted on a welcome to country at the start of the season, which was really beautiful to see. And there were a lot of discussions about your identity and the nation that you come from. How was all of that received by the audience, do you think? I think everyone has loved this season and I've equally obviously loved filming it and being a part of it. I think that first episode, that first night, it literally gives me goosebumps because that Welcome to Country, I I remember that moment was just so beautiful. And would you not feel like that's that's my culture, that display of culture is just so rich and so like raw that I was just really happy that the franchise trusted in in that and I think it shouldn't even have to be a question like it should actually be a given and it was a given for me watch over you from the high country and take you safely on your journey Yenamar Budjuri Gumada walk in good spirits From your point of view, you've had an extraordinary life. What do you think has been the key to you surviving and and prospering? I think it reverts back to my sense of culture and my identity. I think my mum and my nan instilled in me that, you know, we're much stronger than we make out to be. And I think I always just remember where I've come from to what I've got now. I think it's just... I'm always just extremely proud of myself for what I've achieved in such a short amount of time. I think you really do have to 
go within yourself and love yourself and be grateful for like the things that you have like community culture um because I, I don't think I would have been able to do it. Like, I, I have to go home regularly and be on country and, and be with my family because otherwise I just feel a bit, like, lost. <laughs> What's the one piece of advice that you would offer um, young people growing up? I think for me, what I would tell my younger self, and I wish I had been taught, um, was don't be hard, too hard on yourself. So what can we expect from you in the future? So no more love reality shows, <laughs> I can tell you that. I won't be going on any more of those unless I'm taking over Osha's role. But <laughs> <laughs> Look out, Osha. <laughs> yeah. I think for me, I'm actually um, writing a book and it is about love. And I think, you know, based on you know the, what people have seen throughout these love reality shows, but I think more about my love for country, family and community and my culture. So, you know, I want to share uh, my experiences in hope that, you know, young people, um, you know, young queer girls or young queer boys or, um, you know, First Nations Bob can read it and love it and, and learn that, you know, you can persevere and you can build a life for yourself regardless of circumstance or, um, you know, and you can pick yourself up when tragedy falls. Well, Brooke, it's been lovely speaking with you. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I know it couldn't have been easy, so thank you so much. And, yeah, all the best for the future. Thank you, Carla. I hope I didn't <laughs> cry too much. <laughs> right here on NITV Radio, that was uh, Living Black uh, host Carla Grant, and she was speaking there with reality TV star and mental health advocate Brooke Blurton. And as you heard, Brooke is currently writing her own memoir. It's titled Big Love. And it explores her family and her own struggles with mental health. It's due for release in October. If you'd like to watch that episode online, check it out on SBS On Demand. I'm Kerry Lee Harding. Just about time for us to get on out of here for this Wednesday afternoon. Don't forget to tune in to NITV Radio this Friday. We'll be back on air at 1pm as we are every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Want to hear more stories like this? Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. 